scripture reading today comes from Act 2, verse 42, in Acts chapter 12, verse 5 through 19. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and delight shone in the, in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And when he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what that was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them for its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary and the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell them, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there, were, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had Peter over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, I'd like to invite children. Can you come forward? We, have a, we want to show you a little experiment with Mr. Boldelli as my helper. And youth group sisters, brothers, can you go down with them so they could have a little company? Okay. All right. So, this is my friend John. Can, you, can we say John? Especially, Jonah, do you know John? Okay, so that's his son. So, uh, some people weight, lift weights. Any, any of you lift weights, go work out at the gym? Some of you? Okay. In lifting weights, they, you start pumping. 
and he's going to keep pumping while I'm talking, but as he's pumping, how many can he keep doing without stopping? Can he go on forever? No, no one can go ever. Not even Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I, I, I warned him about this. So eventually, what happens to his arm if he keeps going? He gets really tired, and then what happens? Then he can't lift anymore. Maybe he wants to lift. Did you say you could do 100? <laughs> I think he told me 100. So when he gets maybe 30, maybe he says, I want to try to do 30, what happens is our muscles get so tired that at like 25, it starts looking like this. So it's getting slow. And so at the gym, they have what's called someone who is a spotter. Does anyone know what a spotter is? So a spotter goes around and says, you can do it, you can do it. And they cheer him on, pump it, pump it. And then this is what they do. I can, so John's bigger than me and I'm not that strong, but with two fingers, I can be a spotter. Dude, when he's struggling, look at this, all he needs is just a little nudge. Just a little nudge. And then, let's go two more. Let's go two more. And one more. One more. All right. So, there's something really cool there. I could do maybe 10 or 20, but we could do 30 if somebody here to spot you. And so, I want to ask you something. When I helped Mr. John, did I lift it from him? No. What, did I take it from him? No. What did I do? I used two fingers and I just gave him a little nudge. And the thing is, all of you could be spotters for big guys. So someone could be benching 200 pounds, and even you, when they're stuck, you could just give them a little nudge, and they could do it. I've seen that. I've actually, my life is here and saved because so many spotters saved me. And so I want to share that because when we do church together, it can get really hard. And we're trying to live a good life, we're trying to obey God, and we're trying to listen to his word, but sometimes we get stuck when we're by ourselves. And guess what God has given us? He's given us spotters. So he gives us church people to walk alongside us in life group, in friends, in community, session deacons, they come around you, and they don't do the work for you, but they give you that extra nudge. So someone like Jack, come here Jack. Good. So maybe I'm finished with the work, and then we're teaching Jack. Jack, you carry it on, and Jack's pumping weights. What do we do as a church? We're there. If he's stuck, give him a little bit of nudge. And so in Acts, God wants us to be a church that realizes we could pray for one another. When you pray for one another, we are spotting one another. When we bless one another, we are spotting one another. And so God's job is not to try to get us muscles. Wants us to be spiritually strong that we can do this work. Amen? So let's pray together. Jack, thank you. Let's pray together. Lord, sometimes we feel like that in the pandemic. We're just grueling along. I thank you, God, for the many people you place in our lives that give us a call or they come over dropping off food, or they say, hey, I'm praying for you. That they, they 
by us so that we can move, move forward and break this wall when we're tired. Lord, I know that even young children to old people, we all need this community. And thank you for that fellowship called the church. We also thank you for the real power and the real help behind all this, your Holy Spirit. And so, God, help us to pray for one another. And help us to pray so that we can depend on you. These things we pray in your son's name. Amen. So we'll dive right into it. Those of you who uh, may not have been with us the past few weeks, we've been going through Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they say repetition is a great tool to use for teaching. And so we've been going through and that verse, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and today to prayer. And so I want to start by talking about Martin um, Luther, the German reformer. He said, if I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. Martin Luther said, if I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. So for him, his faith, the fire of it is kindled and it burns when he prays. When he forgets to pray, it gets cold. And so I want to be honest with you. I don't know about you. Maybe you're like me. But it's been really hard to pray these days for me. Uh, so I feel that both individually and corporately, we could probably pray more. I think every single person in here might say, yeah, you know, I wish I could pray a little bit more. But we don't. And so I confess, as a church, over the past few years, if I could say, is CPCLM a praying church? I would say, we pray, but I don't think we're known as a praying church. And so, coming to terms with that and recognizing, boy, I think if fires of faith is kindled by prayer, I wonder if we're just cold right now. And so, it could be COVID, it could be, you know, many excuses, but I think we were like this before the pandemic. And so, going through Acts 242, this is convicting for church. We want to be a praying church. And so, I find that many denominations, all backgrounds, they fall into this trap. We get busy with the work of the church, like fixing the leaks, painting, fixing the door, getting uh, bulletins printed. All of us are busy running around getting coffee ready, that we do everything but gather to pray. And I feel it. And I think this is a good challenge that God is giving to me and maybe to you that Boy, are we devoted, continuing steadfastly in prayer. And so I want to just realize that in families and in church, uh, some of you are reaching children where they're getting older now, they're, and the cute bedtime's prayer when you say, kids, it's time to pray, and they jump in the bed, they're like, yes. Those days are kind of fleeting as they become teenagers. <laughs> kids, it's time to pray, and then maybe they don't come in. Or maybe they moved out, 
And so family praying together gets challenging at times. But how do we continue to do that? And so let's go into this question of when I don't pray, what am I communicating to God and to myself? When I don't pray, what am I really communicating? And here's what I think we're communicating. First, we're, we're saying as a church or individually when we don't pray, and I felt this, and I, I want to conf- be transparent before you, good planning, good decisions, and good programming can run the church without God. So when we work hard and we don't pray, what we're really saying is we could have a great church through good decisions, good money, good activities, even without God. In fact, I read a book of a megachurch uh, pastor who was reflecting on his ministry, and he said that he had to rethink church because one of his associate pastors on Easter saw 20,000 people at church and said, oh my goodness, we could have done this even without God. It was so exciting. And the senior pastor was so convicted. What did you just say? And he actually deconstructed what church was, and he had to step out. So no one believes in this, but we live it. So when we don't pray, we really believe it's up to me. And God is important, but for the real emergencies. And so let's humbly confess together, shall we? We need to pray more, amen? Or let's humbly be honest and say we don't pray enough. Not to make us feel guilty, but to say, God, put us back on the right track. So let's do that. So at this time, some people are thinking, um, Pastor Jason, prayer is really a personal thing. I pray. uh, I pray on my own. You know, I don't need to be public in prayer. I don't need to gather, but I pray. You know, I think that's okay. I've always heard that, and I want to share with you, that's true. Jesus actually said, when you pray, don't be like the babbling pagans. Instead, go into a room quietly by yourself and pray. So, yes, prayer is very personal. But here's the catch. God commands both quiet individual prayers and corporate prayers. It's not either or. It's both. So just a few verses to share this. Um, In Joel chapter 1, verse 14, God says, Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders. So assembly, gather, and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God. And what? Cry out to the Lord. So in the Old Testament, whenever there was an emergency, there was a call for repentance, God doesn't say, everyone, go to your own room and pray quietly and ask for forgiveness. No, he says, gather together and pray in unison. We see this in the New Testament. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church. Elders, a group of people to come and what? To come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. We see this over and over and over again. And so think about what we are communicating when we pray together. Think about when we say, hey, John, your family, let's, let's pray together. What are we communicating as a church? Isn't, isn't it this? When we pray together, we're saying we are God's people, and he is our God. We're communicating the reason we exist is for God and for God alone, not for my life. God doesn't serve me. I am his child. I serve God. God saves 
people, sinners, and changes hearts. Only God can do that. When we pray, we're acknowledging the miracle of people coming to faith to be God's work. By the way, the best pastors in the world, no matter who they are, they, they don't convert. They don't change hearts. They proclaim, but God changes hearts. And so another thing when we say, when we pray together, is we're united. We have unity, and we pray together. So one of my favorite authors, Oster, uh, he's, his book, Celebration of Discipline, is one of my favorite books. And this is what he says. Of all spiritual disciplines, prayer is the most central. Why? Because it ushers us into the perpetual communion with the Father. So prayer, isn't that interesting? It's not talking to God. It's communion with God. It's being, engaging with God. And then he said, walk with God have viewed prayer as the main business of their lives. That really challenges me. What is your main job as a Christian? Richard Foster would say, it is to be in prayer with God. That's the first and primary main thing. And so, boy, I, you know, when you prepare messages, I don't prepare to say to you, I'm preparing and I'm reading and I'm going, God, you're beating me up. And so it takes us to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, I really encourage you to memorize that. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we've been studying it. And I need to make this clarity. In case you miss it for the past three weeks, Acts 2.42 is not giving a formula of how to be a great church. He's not giving a formula of how you can become a better Christian. Acts 2.42 is a description of what people who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, how they respond when Christ is alive. God is real. The Holy Spirit has captivated me. How do they live? Generously, prayerfully, concerned about others, devoted to learning God's word. And so this is not a formula for how to be a good church. This is the indicator that we are a great church because Jesus Christ has really claimed us. And so that's our prayer. God, make us an Acts 2.42 church. Help us to see how precious Jesus is and that without him, we have nothing. John 15.5. And so early Christians, if you look at them, all they did, I was stunned. If you read through the first few chapters of Acts, what were they doing? They weren't making cool banners. They didn't create the coolest name of a church, like, like extreme ministries. They didn't come up with any clever names. You know what they were doing? Over and over again, they were just praying. Right after Jesus ascended, they returned to Jerusalem, which is near Jerusalem, and a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were planning the next great ministry that would change the world. No, it says... All these were one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. Can we say that yellow part? Ready? Devoting themselves to prayer. They didn't just pray at the beginning of a committee meeting, Presbyterians. Well, we prayed. That's good. No, they were devoting themselves to prayer. In fact, hours and hours and days until the Holy Spirit came. And so this is what the early church was doing, and this is what they were doing before every major decision. So young, young adults... Youth group, children, how many of you want to get married? Raise your hand. Don't worry, your parents, they, they know, they understand. Any, no one wants to get married? All right. All right, how many of you want to graduate college and high school eventually? Raise your hand. 
How many of you want to find a nice job that God is leading you to? All major decisions. The question is, how much have you been praying? The early church, all the major decisions from waiting on the Holy Spirit, finding a replacement for Judas, right before Jesus preached a sermon that reached 3,000 people, before healing, before fighting off persecution, guess what they were all doing? Praying. That was their main weapon. And I don't know what happened to our church in 2022, but churches in America, I don't think prayer is more than just a nice thing we say, but I don't think we actually do. And I wonder, the correlation of the weakness of the church, in my hindsight now, is, gosh, Jason, you haven't led your people into prayer. Maybe there's a correlation there. So praying was so important. Last week, we learned that the apostles were saying, hey, there are widows who need food, and they're not getting food. And the apostles, not trying to be mean, said, let's raise up seven leaders so they could serve and get food for the Gentiles and the Judean widows because it is too important to neglect the word and prayer. And so, side note, in our church, all those people who are teaching the word, who are, who are presenting and leading prayer, as a church, the way we serve together is to declutter their lives so they could focus on prayer and the word. And we share in the busyness of the, of the life of the church. That's how we help one another. And so this is what happened. So what is the message to us from Acts? What is this saying to us? A corporate prayer time leads to answers uh, for major decisions in the church. That our church, we have a lot of big decisions. We've been looking for a youth pastor for two and a half years. And I realized, Jason, if you don't ask, like you don't urgently, I don't, are you surprised that we haven't had somebody yet? Are we praying for our elders and deacons who are making important decisions? That they would have steadfast integrity, righteousness, humility, and dedication for the body. Are we praying for the neighbors around us? I love the people around us. I love engaging with them. Are we praying for them? I want to ask you, do you know somebody in your life who doesn't know the Lord? Do you? Just take a moment. Do you know somebody that you said, Jesus, I just wish they could see you and know you? The best way we do that is actually pray for them. Uh, by the way, dragging them to church sometimes works and sometimes it doesn't work. What's more effective might be to keep praying for them and wrestling with them. I like to pray for the young generation because they're going to be the future leaders and some of them are the current leaders, so we pray for them. And we have missionaries. Just got in touch with Jean from Nicaragua this past week and she's, they're still overcoming the COVID that they had that her husband is barely breathing after two songs, three songs. So he needs to pull out. And so we realize we need to pray. We need to pray for those seeking the Lord. Um, Hudson Taylor was one of the first missionaries to China. He was one of the first inland missionaries to China. Do you know when he was saved? At the age of 18. And his story is kind of chilling in a cool way. He wandered into his father's library. He picked up his dad's gospel tract and read it. And he was so convicted, he accepted and believed in Jesus Christ. He became a Christian. Later, his mom had returned from being away from home, and he told her the good news, Mom, I, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And she said, quote, 
I already know. Ten days ago, the very date on which you tell me you read that tract, I spent that entire afternoon in prayer for you until the Lord assured me that my wayward son had been brought into the fold. Like, I, that's, that's this kind of story where like, come on. But that was Hudson Taylor's life. And how many lives did he touch after that? In Acts 7, Stephen was being stoned by the Jews. What was his prayer? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Guess who was in that crowd? A man named Saul who got claimed and he became Paul. And so when Martin Luther says this, when I cannot pray, I always sing. If some of you are saying, it's hard for me to pray together or individually, then the Bible says the best way to pray then, sing. Psalms are prayers. We could, they could be sung. Praise songs are prayers. They could be sung in the car. So worship, praise, gather in worship, whether it's praise songs, whether it's hymns, these are prayers to God as well. So when it's hard for you to pray, we praise. I want to end with this story, and I thought this was a fitting thing. In Acts 12, um, many few days down the road, a new king, Herod, came into being. He killed James, one of the disciples, by beheading him. So the disciples are starting to be persecuted. And so what we find out is in Acts 12, Peter is caught, and Herod, this new Herod, not the same Herod as the one in Jesus' birth, he loves that the Jews around him are saying, yes, you're killing the Christians. We love you. So Herod says, going to kill Peter too. So Peter's a big guy. He's the one who preached, and 3,000 came. So he got four soldiers to sit with Peter throughout the night. Two were changed at his right hand, hand and two were at the door. The Bible's telling us Herod was not going to let him escape. Now, now, this is the verse. Ready? Verse 5 of that. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That's all we need to know. Whether Peter escaped or not, we know that the church was praying for him. And so this is a funny story. Peter wakes up in the middle of the night. Get up. Angel's there. Peter's like, what? And then he says, get up. And the chains fall off. Peter stands up. There's two guards. We don't know what they're doing. We're assuming they're sleeping. And then this is one of my favorite parts. The angel says, get dressed. Take your time. <laughs> and the point of that is like, hey, this is not a breakout. This is not a Navy SEAL action. Take your time. You don't even have to rush. God's going to take care of you. And then so Peter gets out. He, he, he realizes he's free. Verse 12, he says, it says, he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and they were praying together. So here's the funny part about prayer. You don't even know how God's going to answer it because what happened when the servant girl opened the door? It's me, Peter. And, she's, and then in joy, she did not open the gate, so she left Peter out the door. And this is so funny. It's me. I'm, I'm free. She's like, oh, my gosh, Peter. And she goes inside, leaves him out in the cold. And so she tells him, and verse 15 tells us, it's Peter's here, and they, the disciples who have been praying for her, get this, what do they say? Of course, we've been praying. We knew this was going to happen. No. They said, you are out of your mind. <laughs> but she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, you know what? He's dead. It must be his angel. So even when we pray, we don't know how God's going to answer. But Peter continued knocking. 
I think, I think that's so hilarious. For like 10 minutes, he's going, let me in, guys. And they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them what the Lord had done. I think we pray not because prayer works. I don't like that phrase. It's not the action itself that we have faith in. Prayer is the instrument to connect to the living God who is always working. Amen? That's prayer. Prayer connects us to God. God works. And in many ways, God answers prayers in ways that don't make sense, surprise us, or may even disappoint us. But the most important part of that is that we are engaging with God and God is changing us in prayer. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan wrote this, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. We have to pray. So in 2022, I want to ask us, let's see what it looks like to become a praying church, a humble church, a hungry church. Uh, some churches have great music bands and lights and awesome coffee. Wouldn't it be great if we were known for two things? We proclaim in action and in word the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are a church that prays. How would that shake up the world? So in our life groups, let's pray. In our committee meetings, let's spend a little more time than an opening prayer. And maybe... Let's start having moments where we could just gather and say, God, you are our God. You're all that we need. Let's pray. Let's pray. Before we go into a time of communion, I want to ask us to uh, just take a moment to pray. And I hope you've been as challenged and convicted as I have. And so before we take the communion, could we take a moment to empty ourselves and praying is not as much what we say to God and the fancy words and the beautiful eloquence, but again, as Richard Foster reminds us, it's this communion with God in whom we're connected through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And so wherever you've been, even if you've been skeptical or you've been kind of cold in your faith, let this time of prayer connect you with God and say, Lord, you and you alone. Help me to have faith. God, give me a hunger for you. Give me a feast for you. Remind me of the good news and the joy of your son's death and resurrection. That Jesus Christ is my Lord. Let all these words or just meditate and just be still before God as you empty. And also, let's confess our sins of apathy or lack of prayer or just maybe laziness. And say, God... Uh, strip these away. Rekindle my walk with you. And I can't see a good father declining such a request. Let's pray.